Hey fam, welcome to Western States Week, the best week of the year. Here is the audio from our third annual pre-race live interview show that I co-host with Corinne Malcolm from the heart of Olympic Valley. This is the morning session from Thursday, June 22nd, our first of three sessions over the next 24 hours to help build the hype for the 50th Western States taking place on Saturday. For those who can't join us live in person or on YouTube, or for those who, like me, simply enjoy the listening experience more. As usual, we are making the audio available here in the podcast feed. Today's guests include Craig Thornley, Diana Fitzpatrick, Katie Scheid, Dakota Jones, Emily Hoggood, Ryan Montgomery, Heather Jackson, and Hella Sidibe. We'll play all eight interviews back to back to back. So I hope you enjoy hearing from these great humans and athletes ahead of the big race. We will post the two remaining sessions here as well as soon as those are completed. But for now, please enjoy the show. Okay, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the 2023 Western States 100. We are under 48 hours from the kickoff of this year's race, the 50th Western States. It is so good to be back. My name is Dylan Bowman, joined, of course, by my co-host for the weekend, Corinne Malcolm. Corinne, good morning. Good morning. And we have a couple of very esteemed guests joining us to kick off the show today. We'll introduce them in just a second. Before we get to it, a big thank you to Hoka, not only the presenting sponsor of the Western States 100, but also the presenting sponsor of our live broadcast, which Corinne and I will co-host at least for the first 20 hours on Saturday morning, starting at 4.15 a.m. It will be a 30-hour long broadcast, and Hoka really is the team that makes that possible. They also make this new pre-race live inter interview show possible too. So a big thank you to Hoka as well. On with the show. Corinne, maybe introduce us to our first guests. Yeah, we're joined on stage by race director and president of the board. So race director Craig Thornley and president of the board, Diana Fitzpatrick. We're so excited to have you both here with us. As Dylan said earlier, race day starts now. Race week starts now. We're ready. I think we're ready. We're ready. We're born ready. <laughs> if we're not ready, we're in trouble. Craig was just uh, flipping through his phone here uh, before we went live, and we had to tell him, hey, man, you got to check out here for 15 minutes, and then you can get back to work. So anyway, Corinne, wait, get us started here. Oh, yeah. So I think... I was reminiscing about 2021 and about how we were coming, we were still deep in the pandemic at that, in hindsight, we were still deep in the pandemic at that point. And there's a lot of concern of, could we pull this off? Would it happen? It did happen. We did pull it off. And then now 2023 has not been without its own hiccups. The fall was really hard um, on the, you know, kind of middle of the course, back half of the course with the mosquito fire and then just an outrageous snow year. And so, Craig, I'm, I'm curious to know what has it taken to get the race course ready to send everyone out there on Saturday morning? It took exactly what we expect of our runners on Saturday, is be determined to get to the finish line. That's, that's, a way, that's the way we approach this problem, is we were going to do anything and everything that was necessary to get the trail in a condition to let the runners, some who waited as many as 10 years to run the race. That's, it, it's, it was that simple 
but it was really hard. But that's all it took is determination. Yeah, I think I was told on Tuesday that since November, you all have logged, I think, 3,000 or more volunteer hours out on the course. That's a huge undertaking. And I'm just kind of curious, like, in what condition are we going into race weekend right now? How's the trail looking? What should people know out there? Well, we just got into the last, uh, the first two aid stations, the last two if we're working from the west, uh, Lion Ridge and Red Star. We were able to get D6s and McLeods and shovels in people's hands and, and snow, uh, snow being cut by chainsaws. Uh, so we finally got eyes on the top 20 miles of the course. We were able to log it out. Um, it, the snow has melted considerably. There's water in Granite Chief like there normally is when it melts. And that you will find out on Saturday why we are rerouting the trail <laughs> above the, the bogs. It's going to take three years to do that. But there's quite a bit of water in the, in the high country. And once you get to... Lion Ridge, it's going to be spotty. There's a couple really steep sections that uh, I have a team out there trying to kick steps or install ropes. We're not exactly sure how they're going to solve that. Uh, right past Cougar Rock, there's some steep sections. And then it's, then it's mostly exposed on the ridgetop. Uh, going into Duncan Canyon, there's a little bit of snow that you have to navigate where a lot of bears were playing the last weekend. <laughs> and after that, you go down into Duncan Creek, you're gonna cross the creek, you will be wet. That's probably the last time you absolutely have to cross water with your feet. There'll be a little bit of snow. You were, you have more recent intel going up to Robinson Flat than me. Yeah, the, the climb out of Duncan is all like essentially completely snow-free, but still wet for sure. But yeah, until you hit Robinson kind of proper, then you're back on some, on some snow coming into the aid station, but that whole climb up is, is dry, basically. Yeah, two weeks ago, it was deep snow. We had to walk over three, four-foot snow to get down to the creek where there was bare ground. So then after you leave Robinson Flat, we're going, it's going to be dry. Uh, there's no snow all the way to the finish. Um, the burn area in the Forest Service, the, the trail is probably as smooth and fast as it's been since I've been around the race. It's... Um, we we paid the Forest Service and Sierra Butte Trail Stewards to come in and help mitigate some of the, the damage from the fire. And the work they did was absolutely phenomenal. And it will be very fast. It will be exposed because there's no trees in some of those areas where the trail is really smooth. Uh, but it'll be fast. And it won't be so hot. But we'll talk about that later. Diana, before we talk about you and your work with the board, I had Craig on my podcast recently, and he made a point to say that since you had taken the role of president, he'd felt a little bit more autonomy to make operations decisions. And I just figured I would start by asking you to say a few words, maybe just about Craig and his leadership, especially in this year that's been highlighted with a few pieces of adversity. Yeah, this was uh, quite the year and um, it was a huge lift. The fire was September, October and Immediately, Craig and John Katz and a few of his core group were out there figuring out how to get this race on this year. And uh, it took that kind of leadership and vision um, that this was going to happen. And that's what that's what you get with Craig as our race director. And then in addition to that, it wasn't just that group. 
having that vision, it also took a community of people stepping up and volunteering, and it really happened. And that also happened partly because of the leadership. Uh, people want to rally around uh, a strong team like that and that type of a vision. Um, but the work weekends were amazing. The community that got out there and helped uh, day after day, weekend after weekend, cold, rain, you name it. And it wasn't just Western States runners. There were people who were from the Auburn area who loved the trail and wanted to help out. There were people who came from Reno, from the Bay Area. I mean, people traveled and uh, spent full days out there. Hard work. Um, but Craig also makes it fun. The whole They do. They make it rewarding and fun. So it was really awesome to see. It was inspiring um, to see that help. Yeah, I showed up on Tuesday because I was promised a milkshake. And exactly. that, that was a pretty good sell, I think. It's a line item in our budget, <laughs> by the way. The milkshakes at Wharton's for post-trail work. So then, Diana, more of an operations question. This year we're celebrating the 50th Western States. Maybe talk about the work that's gone into that and how we're planning to sort of honor the legacy of the race and celebrate this milestone this, this week. Yeah, it's really exciting. This is our 50th, and uh, we um, wanted to, you know, we, we have a really proud history, and um, it's nice to be able to acknowledge that with something like the 50th. So we had a committee working on um, uh, how to recognize it. Uh, we have a special logo, and uh, there will be interviews with that will feature stories with people who have been so important to that history of Western states. And uh, there are um, other commemorative things. I think some of them might be surprises, but there will be uh, all the registered runners are going to get a book that was uh, made by uh, Bob Crowley, Hal Hall, and Tim Tweetmeyer called States. And it goes through all the naming of the different places that we all know at Western States, like Miller's Defeat. Why is it called Miller's Defeat? So. Uh, so that's a nice commemorative item for everybody. Um, and of course, John Trent also has his book out this year, um, Second Sunrise. Yeah, no, we're, we're showing off Craig's super hip logo right now. On oh, yes, sweatshirt. and that too. Yeah, if you volunteered at Western States in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, you probably have this logo on a shirt. My wife does the volunteer shirts, and when she started helping me 10 years ago, or 11 years ago, she said, we're not gonna use this logo. <laughs> so now that we brought it back with a little bit of modern font up there at the 50, everybody's like, wow, that is so hip. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> no it's, it's really old. No, but old is hip, I think is the story here. So what's something I've been thinking about as we head into race weekend is that there's so many phenomenal storylines that take place out there. I was getting coffee before this and happened to run into um, the woman who will be the oldest female in the field, which was really cool to put a face and name together to hopefully follow her along on race day. I don't know if she's still she still close. around. She was around earlier, but I guess like what stories for you two personally are you looking forward to experiencing or following along with this weekend? The probably the 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 two runners that I'm. I just can't you can pick imagine. Favorites. I can't. No, I can't imagine. That we have two autistic runners yeah. this year, and one is nonverbal. And I just can't imagine running 100 miles like this and not being able to tell anybody what you need or what's going on with you. I just, I just can't. I can't fathom that. And when we set up the rope on Duncan uh, Creek a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking about uh, that, runner. that runner, John Almeida. 
uh, I told their crew, well, through Bill Hambrick, that they better practice crossing a creek. They were relieved that the river crossing at mile 78 was going to be on boats, but now we got a creek at mile 20-something that's going to be treacherous. So they went out the next day and they practiced, I think it was Volcano Creek, they, pra they practiced crossing a creek. Wow. And then there's another, uh, another autistic runner, Zach, who has a book out right now. His dad has a book out. I forget what it's called. Uh, uh, those two runners are, that's what they're going to do. It's, it's definitely a big lift for them, a huge lift, right? But what they're going to do to their communities and, and their families and their friends is just, it's going to be so powerful that they even start the, the race. And I hope they get to, all the way to Auburn. But just starting it is, is huge. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, and there's so many stories within the race. Uh, it's always exciting as they unfold. You don't even know what stories are going to unfold. Uh, this year we have two runners from China. That's exciting. We have um, in the elite field, we also have um, uh, two top elite UTMB runners. It's fun to see how they perform at Western States. Uh, we have the oldest male entrant, I, th I believe, if he finishes, yeah, he would be the old, yeah, 75 years old. I think there are four or three or four women in their 60s. Uh, so there are lots of fun things to watch out there. Speaking of performing and women in their 60s, <laughs> Diana Fitzpatrick is a five-time finisher, a couple top tens, and you hold the 60 to 69 age group record. Now serving as the president of the board and having been on the board for more than 10 years, maybe just talk about what this race has meant to you and your family over time? Well, I first got involved with the race through my husband, Tim, in 2002, I believe was the first year he ran it. So it's been part of my life and his life and our kids' lives that whole time. Uh, and I guess Western States, everyone always talks about it. It's about community. It's about being here on this weekend. It's about Memorial Day, the training runs. And then over time, for me, it was originally about the running, the pacing, the crewing, and now it's more the board work, the year-round overseeing what it's about, uh, and just what goes into it from so many people at so many different levels, including the sponsor support we get is amazing, and, um, and the volunteer sport, the board of directors that does work behind the scenes year-round to make this happen, and then, of course, Craig and his team. Do you have any final thoughts? Well, one of the things that I'd love to hear Craig say or talk about is I'm sure there's some anxieties all the way up until the gun goes off. What, what is maybe keeping you up the next couple of nights? We just or, made him put his phone on silent. Right. Come on, Dylan. Well, I, I think it's just, it's relatable. I mean, this is the most important race in the world. The oldest what gives hundred miler. You nightmares? What, what is it like that we don't fully appreciate that you're going to be thinking about over the next 48 hours? Well, I may not know what's going to come up, right? My first year, I got a call on Thursday, this day, that we hadn't paid the Forest Hill Fire Protection District a fee for going through their ambulance service area, and they were threatening to shut the race down on Thursday. So we scrambled like heck to get them insurance and fin fill out the permit application. It was a new, it was a new uh, resolution that was passed in June, and they were going to... They threatened to shut the race down. I had no idea that was coming. So I don't know what else is going to come right now. But one of the things that had been keeping us up, and we just got resolution 
was the private land that we've been um, we've been struggling with uh, at the top of Cal Street. We we did a lot of work on the trail there to mitigate all the the hazards from the burn, and we mitigated those. But we're still in a we were in a really strange, tense negotiations with the landowner, and we will not be using that section. Uh, we'll be doing exactly what we did on training run. We'll be going down Sierra View. It's a, it's a wash in terms of mileage, but it's a, it's a two-mile difference from, uh, from the normal course, and it, it'll take you right down to Cal 1. If you ran it, if you ran it on Memorial Weekend, you, know, you saw it, and it, it really isn't significant. It's, it's, it's kind of a letdown because we worked so hard to get that trail open, but uh, we, we think we are on the right path for a long-term solution so the public will have access to that trail, which is really what we wanted more than just the race. So I won't be, I won't be worried about that the next two <laughs> nights. At least that has been resolved. Well, I'm sure you're both going to be very, very busy over the next couple of days. We appreciate you coming up and opening our interview show together as the race director and the president of the board. Big round of applause for Diana Fitzpatrick and Craig Thornley. And on behalf of myself, Corinne, Craig, and Diana, a huge warm welcome to the 2023 Western States 100. We'll be back, we'll be back in just a minute with the top returning finisher, Mr. Hayden Hawks. Okay, and welcome back. We are joined, like I said, by the top returning finisher, last year's second place M2, Mr. Hayden Hawks. Hayden, welcome back to Western States. Two finishes a hard-fought eighth place in 2021, and a second place last year just behind your friend and teammate, Adam Peterman. Maybe just first, share any learnings or things that you've been thinking about after some reflection from your two finishes here. Uh, yeah, I'm glad to be back. I really am. I, I, I think I said last year that I'm going to keep coming back and keep coming back and keep coming back until I win this race. And, you know, I'm learning every year. Uh, I'm gaining experience on the course. I'm learning little different things that I need to fix, you know, that because I've made a lot of mistakes the last two years, to be honest with you. It might, it might not seem like that on paper, or when you see that I placed second last year, you might think like, ah, oh, he must have had a really good race. But I actually made a lot of mistakes uh, year one and year two, and just like, I've just been learning from those mistakes. And honestly, I feel so much more prepared going into this year and just really excited to get out there and race. Yeah, you've had some life changes recently. You recently moved moved home. You're in Boulder, Colorado now. You've got a seems like a, an exceptionally amazing training group there. Talk a little bit about kind of differences in preparation going into this year's Western States as opposed to maybe last year or your initial finish. Yeah, it's been pretty incredible moving out to Colorado, um, having a really good group to train with. Uh, one of my training partners is actually here, John Rea. Um, look out for that guy. He's fit, he's ready to go. Um, I've been training with John quite a bit and uh, Adam Mary, Matt Daniels, you know, Matt's got some good experience on this course. It's been incredible. Um, it's been really good and, and I'm feeling extremely fit and ready to go. Like, honestly, I feel like my fitness is at an all time high. Um, it's just making sure I execute on race day. If I can execute and I can do all the little things, that fitness will come out and I think it's gonna be a really good day for me. So going back to making mistakes, what was the mistake that you made last year? And I think one of the things that I would love to convey to the audience is just how hard it is to get Western states right. Talk about those mistakes and anything that comes to mind about getting it right out here. 
Yeah, I mean, I've ran a lot of ultras, a lot of the biggest ultras in the world, to be honest with you, and Western States is one of the hardest ones to get right. There's so many variables going into this race from the altitude to the heat to everything. I mean, just your crew and getting all those specifics down, there's so many things that you have to try and, and, and nail. And of course, no ultra is ever gonna be perfect. You're always gonna make mistakes, um, but it's trying to reduce those mistakes as much as possible. Um, I think like, I've pretty much done everything I can to prepare for this race. I mean, my preparation started at, after I crossed the finish line last year. I turned over to my coach, Robbie Britton, and I was like, hey dude, we're coming back. Let's, let's, let's get these mistakes out of here. I mean, let's, let's try and figure out how I can get better and what I can do to go from second to first place, how I can run a faster time on this course. Um, I've done a lot of things. I, <laughs> I went out to, to England, uh, worked with the pre precision hydration guys. We did a lot of uh, work on my fueling, on my, um, on my hydration. Um, I was, honestly, my hydration plan and my fueling plan were just terrible mm -hmm. the last two years. Uh, it has been for most <laughs> of the beginning of my career. And honestly, now I have done so much work on my fueling and hydration to where I'm literally I mean, I'm getting double of what I have gone in the past and I feel so much better. I'm recovering faster. I'm, I'm running better. Like I feel so much stronger at the end of runs. And I think that's all going to come into play, you know, at, at a race like this. So I'm going to kind of dive back into training a little bit. So back in February, you went to Tarawera where you got beat by this guy named Danny Jones. It seems like you guys are now fast friends, fast training partners even. You've logged a lot of really big weeks with him, including a ton of time in the canyon. I would love to hear a little bit about kind of like steel sharpening steel, having this person that you've raced with. He's going to be here racing. He's, he's on my watch list for sure. Just tell us a little bit more about kind of that relationship and, and the training that you two have put in together building into Western States. Yeah, I mean, Dan, he, he's just such a good good friend, to be honest with you. I mean, he reached out to me last year. He came out to the U.S. last year, did a couple races out here, and uh, he reached out to me, and, and I invited him into my house in Cedar City, Utah, when I was living over there. And, uh, yeah, we became just instant friends. We connected really well. He invited me to come down to New Zealand and train with him. So we took up that offer. It's like, well, why not? Let's get out of the summer, or let's get out of the winter and go to a New Zealand summer, right? Yeah. So I went down there for three months and trained in Australia and New Zealand for three months. And me and Dan got really fit. Um, we ran Tarawara together, and yeah, we had some really, really good, good sessions down there. And and then he's been out here training with me before Western States. So it's just like, I don't know, like it's it's been fun. Um, and honestly, I can owe a lot of my, I, I owe a lot of the fitness that I've gained to training with Dan, the things I've learned from him and the things he's learned from me. So back to this year's race, you've made it clear that you do want to take one more step up the podium. It involves taking risks in order to win this race. You are known as a brave, courageous, fearless racer. But I wonder maybe if you want to say a few words about balancing that risk-taking that it takes to win here at Western States with like racing smart and being strategic and tactical. Well, I've taken a lot of risks in the training leading up to this race. <laughs> I've been doing some pretty big training. Uh, funny story, when I went out to, uh, talking about doing everything, okay? When I went out to England to do this, this testing in the lab, um, I let them stick a rectal thermometer up. I uh, ran on a treadmill two days for 50K uh, on the treadmill. 
I've literally done everything, dude. There's nothing more that I could have done, to be honest with you. But I've done a lot of, yeah, just really big volume, big workouts. I've done a lot of big things. And to be honest with you, um, I don't have to take risks in the race um, because I feel like my level of fitness is so high that I can kind of control my own destiny. Um, I think the biggest thing this year is going to be don't let Hayden beat Hayden. Um, and honestly, that's kind of what I'm focused on is I'm not going to beat myself. And I think if I don't beat myself, it's going to be a really good day. Do you feel going back to last year? Cause I recall you sort of took the lead heading into the canyons, if I'm not mistaken. Did you, do you feel like you let Hayden beat Hayden last year by maybe being a little bit too aggressive, taking a risk? I feel like I've let Hayden beat Hayden many times in my career, <laughs> but that's just who I am, man. I'm a risk taker. I'm a dreamer. I love putting myself out there and, and seeing what I can do. And sometimes I, I, I fly a little too close to the sun, to be honest with you, but I, wouldn't, I don't regret it because I've learned so much from those experiences um, and, and I can kind of reflect on it and be like, okay, well, what can, we def like, what can we work on here? How can I not let Hayden beat Hayden next time, you know? And, and so, yeah, like, honestly, I, I don't regret any of those uh, times that I've taken risks and I've went out there and pushed myself. Um, but yeah, like, I don't want to put it, everything out there, but you, you might see a little bit different of a Hayden this year. Um, you know, I, I think I'm a little bit more patient. Um, I have to be patient. I have two kids, you know. I've learned a lot of patience from them. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that plays. And I think it's, it's going to work out pretty well. Yeah, I think the question on everyone's mind is, is the third time the charm? Yeah, who knows, right? <laughs> uh, no, I, we'll, we'll see. I mean, yeah, I, I'd like to think so. Um, I do have a lot of confidence in myself. I believe I can win this race. I 100% believe I can win this race and I've done everything I can to win this race. And that's all I know going into this race is like, I have prepared myself the best way that I possibly can. I have 100% confidence that I can win this race. All I can do is go out there and put myself out there and see what happens, right? I mean, that's literally all I can do. Um, I'm trying to control what I can control and I'm not gonna focus on what I can't control because there's no point in that. I haven't been looking at anybody else's Strava. I'm not even really on social media this week. Like I'm posting because I have to, but other than that, I'm not scrolling Instagram or looking what everybody else is doing or listening to interviews or anything like that because I'm so focused just on myself and what I need to do. And I think if I focus on myself and what I need to do it, yeah, it, it'll play out how I, how, I, how I want it to. Who is not ready to run through a brick wall right now? <laughs> Hayden, maybe last question for you. You just mentioned being a father of two. I see Ashley over there. Maybe give a shout out to the friends, family, crew that you're going to have out here this weekend. Yeah, uh, my, my wife, Ashley, I'll give a shout out to her first. Is like, yeah, all this is possible because of her. I mean, she is an incredible mother. She's an incredible partner and wife. And I'm really just grateful for her and all she does for me. Um, yeah, I'm the athlete I am today because of her. Um, she motivates me. She pushes me. Um, yeah. And I, I have a lot of other, you know, family and friends supporting me. Um, a lot of people out there that I'm just so, so grateful for. Um, you know, I, I put a post out yesterday saying, you know, thank you to everybody for helping me get to the starting line. And honestly, it's true. Like, I would not be here with all the, the support from, from family and friends. My brother's out here supporting me. My coach flew in from, from Italy to support me. 
Um, I have incredible friends. I have incredible sponsors, you know, Hoka Precision out here supporting me. I'm just so lucky to have all these people in my corner, and I'm, I'm really grateful for all of them. Well, Hayden Hawks, good luck on Saturday. Thank you for joining us here on the show and put on a show for us on the broadcast. Yeah, Big round of applause so. for Hayden Hawks. Okay, welcome back, everybody. We are joined by the reigning UTMB champion, Katie Scheid, an American living in France. Katie, first of all, how does it feel to be back on American soil ahead of your first Western States? Well, I've actually been here for about two months now, so it's all sunk in already. But I'll say the first uh, week or two was a little bit overwhelming, um, just how friendly everybody is. Uh, also being able to understand everything without thinking. And uh, yeah, trying to choose salsas in the grocery store. Those were probably like the peak difficult moments. Yeah, so good to have you back stateside. I know you've been based out of Flagstaff, running a lot of fast, flat stuff, getting in the canyon, a mix of everything. I was talking to your, your coach, Jason Coop, and he was like, okay, Katie, like that's a lot of fast and flat. Like we got to mix it up a little bit. I just would love to hear a little bit about, you know, kind of going all in on this, making the decision to come over here early, basing out of Flagstaff, getting that really good training in, like talk about the mindset of being like, okay, I'm doing this thing. I've got to do it like completely. Yeah, I think I kind of started this more all-in complete approach a little bit last year. Um, I had more time after finishing my PhD. And I think it's just more obvious now because I had to actually travel to really go all-in. Whereas when I was at home, it was I was already essentially in not exactly the same as UTMB terrain, but way more similar. So I could kind of, yeah, I didn't need to be as obvious about it, but this was obviously a clear move. Like I don't live in Flagstaff <laughs> normally. Uh, but yeah, it's been fun. And uh, it, it really gives you kind of this project feeling about a race more than just like showing up to do it. I feel like it's been a race that's kind of encompassed many months of my life so far. Talk a little bit more about that. I'd love to hear about like kind of doing your homework for this, like outside of training on the course, were there people whose advice you sought or other things that you think are relevant to talk about, about like kind of going all in and doing your homework? Yeah, I think I've tried to ask as many people as possible just for their thoughts and advice and then try to filter it with my own like Katie filter about like which things I actually want to like keep because <laughs> everyone has their own little theories about everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, my coach, Jason Coop, who you guys obviously know, like has been really helpful, especially for this race, because I really <laughs> hadn't been on the course until May. Uh, so yeah, mostly that, but then just trying to kind of make my own opinions and trying to see which parts of the course suited me and how I would approach it on race day, just based on the week I spent here already. Yeah, historically, a race like UTMB, which you won back in August, is quite different than Western states as far as environmental factors and, and terrain. Are you excited about kind of the versatility of that challenge? And like, how have you approached that specifically with your normal wintertime activities on skis to being really ready to rip here? Yeah, I think one of the bigger things about Western states is it's two months earlier than UTMB. So for a lot of us who do spend the winter on skis, it's like a serious thing to keep in mind, especially because a lot of the bigger ski races are in mid-March or April and even beginning of May. So I kind of had to put an X through the 
the fun late season ski races, but I don't really think of that as like a sacrifice, more just like an intentional decision to kind of focus my energy more on this. And that's been great this year. And I, I'm like happy with, with that decision, but yeah, it has meant like getting back in sneakers earlier and not, not like leaving the sneakers <laughs> under the, under the shoe rack for most of the winter. I was still driving down. Uh, luckily I live like an hour and a half from Nice, so I can drive down and run in shorts in January, which pretty is pretty nice. great and come back and ski in the afternoon. So not too bad. Amazing. So talking a little bit more about the training, you know, as a UTMB champion and somebody who sort of has been devoting the last three years of your professional athletic career to that race, how do you then like switch things up, practically speaking, with your training to prepare for the specific demands of this course? Um, I don't think like training wise, it's on paper. It's not that much different. It's more just like applying those same principles to different surface and different profile. So, I mean, Flagstaff gave me a similar environment to here, although apparently it's supposed to be super cold at the start, which is going to throw me off a little bit. But yeah, at least gave me like sunny, dry, uh, high altitude and uh, yeah, just like more runnable terrain. So I think just applying the same sort of fitness ideas to just, yeah, different trails. Yeah, fitness, fitness is fitness. But I guess I'm curious, you know, about nutrition a little bit. I know during during UTMB, things went a little sideways with the stomach and you were given the, the miracle of, I think, cheese and butter sandwiches mid-race that allowed things to kind of come back together. I'm I'm assuming and or hoping that the, the cheese and butter sandwiches will not be making an appearance at Forest Hill this year. You know, what work has gone into making sure that you've got a dialed nutrition plan as things heat up over the course of Saturday? Yeah, I think uh, one one cool thing for me about Western States is that it does not start at night. Yeah. And that's always been a huge struggle for me is that like 4 a.m. window yep. is when things usually start to go poorly. So I think just having a start in the morning and yeah, coming off just one meal instead of three. Uh, and then I've also been um, working with my nutrition partner, Never Second, and we have uh, some new product that will be that I'll be using during the race, which are some ice gels kind of a yeah like a <laughs> yes like like a high-powered freeze pop so <laughs> I'm pretty excited about those I think those will go down nicely and uh, just the fact that time-wise in theory this should be a little bit shorter than western states so that gives me a little bit more cushion for less things to go wrong <laughs> you should be done by 4 a.m <laughs> so Talk a little bit more about going to Flagstaff. Obviously, that's a town that has produced several Western States champions. Tell us about your time there, why you chose to train there, the people you trained with, and sort of why you chose that as base camp. Yeah, I think actually a lot of people have asked me why I chose Flagstaff. And I think the real idea was actually because Jamal was like so taken away with the Coconino Cowboys many years ago. And he was like, we have to go to Flagstaff and train for like a marathon or something there. And then in the end, he didn't end up coming. So it was just me left with his dream. Um, but no, knowing that um, people like Abby and Cordis Hall were there, uh, like Jared was around. I mean, I'm forgetting other. Rob was across the street. I had an opportunity to have a place to stay with access to vehicles. So just like a lot of factors made it seem like a good place. Um, and yeah, just the terrain I I had heard was similar. I had seen success from like Beth and Ruth and Jim, obviously. So, and Jared also. So, 
Rob. Yeah, there's. <laughs> I could keep lot. going on. <laughs> yeah, via osmosis, the Flagstaff training should set you up nicely for, for Western states. Kind of looking looking ahead at the race, you know, the course has we keep we keep getting new updates, right? It's going to be snowy. It's not going to be snow. It's going to be medium snowy. It's going to be medium wet. It's going to be hot, but maybe not too hot, etc. I know you spent some time out on the course. You came here ahead of the Memorial Day training camp and did your own kind of blitz of of the route. I'm kind of curious what your most excited about what you're most maybe like not necessarily nervous but kind of like curious to see what happens as far as like going into Saturday's race yeah I mean I think I'm most curious about the first uh, 50k or 30 miles as you might say yeah, um, <laughs> yeah the, because I think that's what everyone's kind of wondering about I mean I've never seen it in any condition so I have no like predisposed opinion about it mm-hmm. so I'm mostly just excited to see what that will bring and how it will shake up the field or how, yeah, how the snow will be. I'd love to hear you talk about just kind of like following your motivation as an athlete. Obviously you earned your golden ticket at UTMB after your victory in August. What made you feel inspired or motivated to sort of transition your professional focus to Western States this season? I I mean, I sort of just felt like, okay, I did it. Like, (laughs) check. Uh, Let's do something new. (laughs) Like, I just, yeah, I mean, I first started, the first time I went to CUTMB was like in 2016 when I first had moved to Switzerland. So, yeah, I've just been like around the race for like seven years. I watched Jarmo one year, then I did CCC, then I did three UTMBs. and I've done the, the 90K du Mont Blanc. So I've just like been in Chamonix a lot and raced there a lot. And I just, it just felt like really exciting to kind of pick something new and just have this like new project. Yeah, I guess speaking to that. So you, yeah, UTMB three times before that, that win really came, came to fruition. I guess thinking about Western states, right? This new project. Can we anticipate if things don't go perfectly? I mean, we're going to say things are going to go perfectly on Saturday. But if, if for some reason things do not go 100% perfectly, could we anticipate this becoming your next your next passion project professionally? Yeah, we'll see. I'm just waiting to see how everything <laughs> goes, like how I feel about the race. I think I'm going to like it, but everyone's yeah. telling me I'm going to like it, so I feel like I have to. <laughs> but no, yeah, we'll see how I feel about it and then um, how it goes and if I get an F-bib or a, if I have to do one of these golden ticket like Situation. quests. <laughs> Although, I mean, the fact that Nice has one of the tickets is quite interesting since I live like yeah. 10K from the course. So <laughs> A plan B has been formulated. <laughs> yeah. So as I said at the top of the show, you live in France, but you're an American. Do you have friends and family here? And, and does that give you like a little wind in your sails going into a 100-mile race on Saturday? Yeah, so this is the first time my family has been at an ultra race. Um, they're over here. Uh, so my parents and my sister are here, and uh, that uh, my sister moved. She already got annoyed by them. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we're yeah, I'm excited that they're here and um, just kind of like sharing my race experience with them and like bringing them into it. Normally, it's just like a stressed phone call uh, the night before. So this time they'll get it in real time. Yeah, and I've, I've been told by some people in the know that there's going to be some surprises out on course for you a little bit, so maybe some familiar, some, some familiar faces. Can you anticipate some, uh, some like good, good energy being given to you out on the course just by people that maybe you haven't seen while you've been racing over in Europe out on the course on Saturday? Yeah, I, like when I was talking to Coop about coming here in, I don't know, 
January or something, I was saying, yeah, I don't think I'm going to have that many people around because, like, you know, it's been seven years since I lived in the U.S. And, yeah, I'm just not really sure if I'm going to have, like, a big team around me. And then in the end, it was like, I have so many people I can't even remember. You're turning away crew. Yeah. I'm like, no, it's okay. I have enough people. So that's been really kind of special to see that people are still here for me, even though it's been so long. And obviously COVID had like a big part part in that because I just couldn't see people and people couldn't visit. So I'm excited to just be surprised on the course because I know there's people who are going to be there who I didn't, don't expect to see. Yeah, well, Katie, on behalf of all American trail runners, <laughs> welcome back to the U.S. And uh, yeah, it's great to have you here. Thanks for carving out some time with us and best of luck to you on Saturday. Thank you. Thanks We're round of applause for Katie Shide. <laughs> we'll be back in just a moment with Mr. Dakota Jones. Hang tight. Okay, welcome back, everyone. We are joined by all-time legend, Dakota Jones. Dakota, after 15 years, you're finally here at Western States. I heard a rumor you've actually never even been to the race. Is that true? That's not true. Not true. Okay, no. it was a rumor. Good okay. start, though. <laughs> Good start. <laughs> Bad research. But first of all, I mean, like, you've been in the sport for such a long time. You're yeah. finally here for your first Western States. Tell us how you're feeling and why it took so long. Well, it's, it's really fun for me because um, I did. So I, I was here in 2010. And, like, that was basically right when I was starting. I was, like, 19 years old. That was the year that Jeff Rose and Killian and Tony, like, were fighting at the front. And it was super exciting. Um, and I remember being, like, so fired up. Like, this is such a cool race. And somehow, through whatever poor decision-making. I've never actually been here for the race, uh, to, to race since then. And so it's like crazy. That was 13 years ago. And so, um, I don't know. It's, it's really, really exciting to be here, man. So you came the unbreakable year and you haven't been back since then. Well, I did pace Lucy Bartholomew when she got third in 2018 okay, as well. Okay. Oh, so you've been here twice. I've been here twice. Nice. Well, I think third time's the charm. Third time, first time running long, long time listener, first time caller. Um, I think, before we dive about talk about your training or your race tactics or your mindset for Saturday, yeah. I think everyone would like to know. You've had this like kind of unconventional taper. Yes. You did this like whole thing where you like rode your bike from Salt Lake City exactly. to Tahoe. Can you tell us a little bit about you know kind of what went into that and and why you took a long bike why you took the long bike route? Exactly. Yeah. So I, I run this nonprofit called Footprints and we organize these running camps to help people address climate change in their communities. And we wanted to, we need to raise funds for, for our operations. And we thought that the, one of the coolest ways to do that was to basically do this big spectacle where I ride my bike from my house in Salt Lake out to the Western States 100, um, try to get a bunch of attention about it and use this as an opportunity to talk about climate action through trail running and through outdoor sports in general. Um, and so, yeah, I rode out here. It took about seven days. I did, um, it was a little over 650 miles. Um, and honestly, it was just a really delightful trip. You get to, I got to ride across the desert. The weather was good. I camped in the desert. It was beautiful. Um, and I got here about a week ago, a little over a week ago. I rode up to just right here to the start line. Um, 
and it was it was super fun. I feel great. Before we move off this, I just pasted a link to the fundraiser in our YouTube chat. So for those who are watching digitally, make sure you check out Footprints, and if you can get involved, and maybe tell people how they can get involved and what uh, you're raising funds for. Yeah, we're raising funds to support our campers year-round. So rather than just having one week of climate um, advocacy, climate support for these projects, we're going to work with somebody who's going to support these campers with connections, resources, ideas, and, and uh, accountability throughout the year after the camp so that we can basically support them as they implement these climate projects in their communities. So if you can get involved, support us. Like Fundraising is one of the most important aspects of what we do, and that allows us to help people around the world with climate projects. Yeah, so really important question. Yeah. Are you riding home afterwards? No, and that's a really good question because it turns out climate solutions don't require everybody giving up their cars and airplanes to get around places. And what's convenient is there's a train from right over here in Truckee to Salt Lake City. And it's very convenient for me as a, having just run 100 miles, hopefully, on Sunday. But it's, it's also part of this, this story we want to tell. You know, it's like riding my bike here was really cool. It's also a very privileged thing that I get to do. Yeah. And so like taking this train is an example of the kind of infrastructure we should be investing in for everybody. So Dakota, you've had a long, illustrious career, but <laughs> you're, the best performances for you at least historically until last year, came at races under 100 miles. Maybe a less sensitive way to say it is that your worst performances came at 100-mile races. <laughs> last yes, that, year, that is very true. <laughs> last year, you ran a sick fast time at Hard Rock, finishing third behind Killian and Francois, and then you won the Havilene 100, where you punch your golden ticket here to Western States. Can you talk about that learning curve as a 100-mile runner? It's taken me a long time. I got first inspired by ultramarathons at Hard Rock. I started running 100 miles when I was, uh, I ran my first when I was 19. I ran Hard Rock for the first time when I was 20. But like, I felt like I was just barely surviving these races. I'd blow up and have some terrible experiences at some of them. And I remember in 2014, I was like, I need, I need a break. I'm going to take a few years off of 100 miles. And I didn't come back to it until 2020. And I ran the I'm Tough 100 and I ran like well within my capacity and felt like I didn't blow up. I felt like I was in control. And ever since then, I've been trying to work up, like get more experience and try to get more confidence of the distance. Because it's a super long way to run. It's actually like not just run it, but to compete at that level. You know, I mean, you both know, like it takes a lot of experience, I think, to be able to do that. And so, like you said, I've been in the sport like 15 years now, which is crazy to think about. But it's really, really exciting to feel like I now have done, like I have the miles in my legs, I have the experiences. And, you know, there's, I might, I fully might go out and blow up and have a bad race. My experience might not work out, but I do have more confidence going into this than I have in most hundreds. Yeah, and I think, I don't think anyone would ever like doubt your mountain capabilities. I think your hard rock performances speak to that, et cetera. But I think when you showed up at Havelina, while, while people are like, Dakota's, Dakota's fast, Dakota's fit, Dakota could get this done. I don't know that anyone expected quite that performance out of you at Havelina. Like, it was, it was really cool. It was impressive, you know, bar none. But talk a little bit about kind of like, I mean, you ran as a cat as well, which is really important to point out. You had whiskers drawn on for most of the day. But talk a little bit about, you know, really, it felt like you nailed it. And I'm really curious, like, from your own personal perspective, how you felt about Havelina. 
I, well, I felt very good. Winning is always exciting. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a cool experience for me because I had never run a 100 mile race that was so fast. Like I had always, I've always gravitated towards these mountain hundreds and these adventurous races. And so Havelina is something like 6,000 feet yeah. over hundred miles. It took me literally 10 hours less than I had run at Hard Rock just a few months before. And so it's a totally different experience, a totally different approach to the race. And I, I trained by doing like more mileage and a lot more time running. But like being able to actually run a hundred miles, like every step was yeah. a new experience for me. And I was out there just like wondering how long I could last, how long it would work. And I basically early on in the race, like by lap two, I was like, I hit a pace that I was like, this is what it's gonna take to win this. There's a lot of other got strong runners here and I'm just gonna try. And uh, I had a few ups and downs, but for the most part, I was able to stay pretty consistent. And um, I don't know, it was a cool experience for me. Like. I think that that's when races go really well. You, you hit this point where you're like, this is what it takes to win. I've never run this hard for this long. I don't know if I can do it, but the risk you take in trying is what's exciting. It's what's fun. It doesn't always pay off, but it did that day. And um, I, I don't know. I, I guess I hope it'll happen again. <laughs> I love it. Love it. I think I recall you posting something about the battle that you had with John Ray there. Yeah. and He kind of caught you on the last lap. Maybe talk about like that racing mentality, because I think we probably can expect something similar here at Western States. Obviously, the level of competition is beyond world class. So you have to be ready to really dig and fight at the end. Do you feel confident in your ability to do, to do so? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think that for me, like the, the mental aspect of racing is a lot harder than the physical aspect. Like you, you really have to dig deep and like push yourself and a hundred miles is a really long way to run. Um, running with John Rea at, at Havelina last year was a really cool experience because I like I was running by myself off the front for like 40 miles and then at 80 miles he caught me and I was like, damn it, no. <laughs> uh, here we go. And um, but then I don't know, I just managed to have a good last lap and I was able to pull ahead, but it really wasn't that much of a difference. Like he was basically right behind me the whole way. Um, and I imagine the same will happen, not with John, not just with John, but with many other people here. Um, we'll be racing head to head for all of Western states, I imagine. And so for me, it's like this, this balance of like trying to not blow myself up early. You know, everybody's trying to be cool. Everybody's trying to be the most relaxed at the start of the race, but we're all very aware of where everybody else is and how far we have to go and how hard we're working and what we're eating and all this stuff. And it's a lot to keep in your mind. And at some point, somebody's gonna go for it and we have to decide, should we respond to that or should we wait? And it's like, I don't know. It's Every race is different. I think that's what's exciting about it. But I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I've got a lot of ideas, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So since since Avelina, you put a lot of a lot more mileage in, some flatter running for that. You have since won Transvolcania, which I feel like had to be a cool experience after after your original your OG win yeah. there such a long time ago. You know, kind of really coming full circle on on your career in a way. I guess take us from Transvolcania to now. That wasn't that long ago. Actually just talk t talk to us a little bit more about kind of this spring training, kind of your build up into western states and the work that you put in to hopefully be as ready as possible this weekend. Yeah, I, I've had a pretty busy spring. I've been going to school. I've been running Footprints, my nonprofits. And so I feel like I've been kind of prioritizing those things almost more than training, which has been hard. But at the same time, like I've been training really hard. I've gotten a lot done. And, and training has been sort of like a, a way for me to get out of the house and get away from the computer and, and kind of get into a different headspace. So it's been 
pretty helpful mentally as well as physically. Um, going to Transvulcania and being able to win again was really, really meaningful for me. Like you say, it was like 11 years after the first time, and um, I just really like it out there. And it gave me a lot of confidence also in my fitness. And so being able to do that and then take a, a little bit of rest, and then I had, I think, four, maybe four and a half weeks of like pretty consistent training after that. Um, I, I just tried, like I knew I was strong with Transvulcania, but that's less than half the distance of Western States. And so I was, it's like this balance, like it's not that long since Transvulcania, as you say. And so I've been trying to not overdo it. And, and like, rather than having big mileage or really big training runs, I've, I've basically just tried to stay consistent um, with my training. And so it's a little over a hundred miles a week and just trying to like make sure that I rest enough. And I, I just was like, I was kind of traveling around and I, I'm actually incredibly lucky. I didn't do very good heat training. And like the fact that it's like not that hot is, is like such a blessing. Oh my God. Yeah. You said that the bike ride was supposed to be your heat yeah. training and it ended up being cold, but it's not going to be a historically hot year this year. In fact, it's going to be a historically cool year. One of the 10 coldest Western States on record, but maybe just to close things out, I'd love to hear you just say a few more words about that victory at Transvulcania and the time in between, because I don't think it's necessarily obvious to, as to how to get that right, especially when you ride 650 miles yeah. all the way to Western States. Like, how do you make sure you have that balance of freshness and fitness coming into the race? I mean, it's, it's always... A it's always a challenge. Like I'm sitting here right now, we got two days before the race and I feel fine, but I also might go run 10 miles on Saturday and realize that I don't feel fine. It's always really, really hard to say. But for me, like, I think that the reason I've been able to race well over the last few years is because I have like a, I feel like I have a purpose beyond just running, just racing. And so like this bike tour to ride my ride out here was maybe not the most like smart thing I could have done. For it wasn't tapering. conventional. My, yes, it was unconventional. Exactly. But I did it for a purpose. I'm doing this for like to bring our communities together for a reason that like really inspires me. And I felt like I wasn't out there alone. I feel like people are following along and I'm not just running for myself. That gives me a whole lot like I feel like it's just, I don't know what wind in my sails. It just gives I mean, me a lot of motivation. It I makes mean, me feel like like I'm here for a reason that matters rather than just making myself a better athlete or running like some certain time or 2% better than I did before or something. Yeah, it's meaning. You've got, yeah. there's meaning behind it. Yeah. Which is performance enhancing, we should say. Having exactly. meaning is performance enhancing. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> we're here together. Like that's what's so great about this community. You know, it's like I'm not, I could run this course anytime in the summer with nobody, but we're here together to run with this whole community because like that's where we get so much meaning out of the sport, being together, pushing each other. And like, that's what gives me motivation. And so I feel, if I feel good or not, I'm gonna run this race from start to finish and I'm gonna have a great time. What a beautiful place to end. Big round of applause for Dakota Jones. After 15 years, it is so good to have you here. And to those watching on YouTube again, Navigate to the link that I posted in the chat. Give a donation to Footprints. Put some more wind in Dakota sales. We'll be back in just a second with Emily Hoggood. Okay, welcome back. We are joined by Emily Hoggood, the top returning women's finisher. One of the stories of last year's race. I mean, Corinne and I were on the edge of our seat. You swung for the fences. It was so inspiring. Maybe for those who can't remember your race from last year, just kind of reflect on that day and how you've been thinking about it with 12 months of perspective. Yeah, it was a, a very growth-filled day, I think. Uh, it held all the Western States magic, and I that was a day that I really knew that these trails are home, and 
the first time I was running home, been living there and knew the community out there and the support um, was just incredible. The people that make up Western States and the Western States community, um, yeah, just as always, <laughs> make the experience once in a lifetime, uh, every time. Uh, yeah, it was a great day and I got to share some magic miles with Ruth. We kind of just fell into step uh, for a minute there and we got to be teammates and really uh, push each other and help each other through some highs and lows and uh, really check in and make sure we were both taking salt tablets and drinking water and, you know, the normal things. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, had some lows and worked through a rough stomach, but still made it work. And yeah, I was really stoked, but definitely got to the finish line and I was like, okay, can we go to back to the start so I can run it again? <laughs> yeah, I think there were two like distinct moments during the race. The first was we had a camera, we had a drone at Devil's Thumb and we got to see you, Ruth and Keely mm. all there together. Like, I think we were like legit losing it in the studio. We had no composure. We were not professional. We were out of our minds. And then I think the other moment was that we had footage of you at Rucky Chucky sitting in a chair essentially like trying to regroup and, and get going again and I just like talk a little bit about that experience of being like okay my day is not gone maybe perfectly I've got this thing that's going on I've got to work through it talk a little bit about I mean you got out of there and you, you fought for fifth and you are, are our top returning finisher from last year like give us a little bit more of that insight of like what it took to get out of that chair and get across the river. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't remember sitting down, so that's probably a good thing. Yeah. Because I wasn't that's there very thing. long. <laughs> um, but sat down and I, and just, yeah, kind of changed the mindset of, okay, we just have, you got to be smart. Like, yes, you've been smart up to this point and maybe screwed something up. I don't know. Um, but you can do this. Your legs can do this. Your brain can do this. Your stomach's going to complain the whole way. And I think knowing that was kind of like, okay, you just accept it, put it back in the back of your mind. Like you're going to do everything you can to get out of this. And, uh, I had some rough data <laughs> at that point. I was told I had like a 40 minute gap on the next person, um, which I was like, okay, then I will climb all the way up to green gate, not run a step, just walk, give my stomach a chance. I didn't have that much gap, but I probably would have done that anyway. With, with Leo, <laughs> with, with, with a person who we know is a closer behind you, yeah. it turns out. Can never trust the reliability of the, no. uh, the gaps. Yeah. But yeah, I walked up to Green Gate and then it just, yeah, ran uncomfortably, but it was fine. Like the legs still have the strength to run through what you think you can't run through. Amazing. So this is your third time here, and you improved by an hour last year. Maybe talk about what you think led to that massive improvement and where you still see room for improvement on the course. Hmm. <laughs> um, we can ask Paul. Yeah. <laughs> Paul says no. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think having the confidence to know that I can run out there and even on areas, you know, maybe where you feel like you don't know the course a little well or just coming in with experience, I think helps a lot um, and knowing how you're going to feel later on in the race. So making those smart decisions early of, okay, I feel strong now, but is it smart to run faster um, or not? And I think I made a lot of those decisions last year. And sometimes I did push stronger. Sometimes I held back. And that really helped me out later to be able to run strong even when I was feeling bad. 
You're one of the people that has probably some of the most experience just on the actual course. While you're from Zimbabwe, you live in Roseville. Like not not far, like what twenty minutes from the finish or something. So, you know, talk a little bit. You've talked a little bit about knowing the community, about feeling this like attachment to the area. But I would love to hear a little bit more about like, yeah, you've had this amazing experience getting to like live on the trail essentially. Like, what does it mean to you particularly when it comes to like this for you? Like, you're running home. Like, what does that mean, race weekend? Yeah. So every time I get to step out on the course, even though I live right there. It's an honor to get to be on the trail, and it feels like hallowed ground. And I think of all the amazing people that have run before me and um, all the stories. I love this week because everyone started sharing about, you know, my experience at Western States and whether they're a crew member or a volunteer or a runner um, or Craig <laughs> um, or the millions of people who've gone out this year and put hours and hours and hours of work into making our trail look incredible after the fires and the rain. Um, all that magic comes into every run and makes, yeah, it just makes it even more special than just home trails. Um, yeah, I. <laughs> it's so magic. <laughs> it's true. I mean, you do feel the history even outside of Western States Week. When you come here to Olympic Valley or you spend any time between here and Auburn, California, you really do feel the legacy of this race. And it is great that you are sort of here on home turf with a, a third chance at the race. Something I just asked Hayden about that I'd love to get your perspective on as well. Again, you ran a brave race last year. You sort of took a big swing. You really put yourself in the fight, ultimately faded a little bit, but still walked away with a huge PR on the course. Talk about that balance between taking risks and putting yourself in the fight, and then also ensuring that you aren't making mistakes, that you aren't being reckless, and that you can arrive to the finish line in uh, you know, a workable physical condition. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> I have found over the six years of experience doing this, the better I learn my body and being able to communicate with it, and it communicates with me. It's amazing how much it talks to you even when you're not listening. And if you take good care of it, it takes good care of you. Um, and so even like going into those moments of taking a risk, you have five second conversation with yourself of like, okay, how are we doing? Like full body scan, like, can we do this? How's everything feeling? Is it smart? And then, okay, you got my back. Yep, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> and speak, speaking of special people, you've got a teammate racing and someone that you've, you've trained a lot with, I think, in the buildup as well, a double, a double teammate even, in Taylor Nowlin. I guess you had that, those moments running with Ruth last year, like getting to run shoulder to shoulder with her at times. I know that you and Taylor will both be running your own races out there, but how special is it to have this person that you're so close with that you've put so many miles in with here on the course and also elsewhere training? Like, what does that mean going into the race week? Yeah, uh, that in itself is very unique. And I love that our community is so close, but to have Taylor out there um, is super special because she knows the training. She knows the work that we've all, we both put in. We've shared some miles. We've shared some thoughts. We've shared, you know, messages and um, highs and lows and maybe, uh, like, tools we both used last year and what we're going to use this year. And just knowing that someone is out there that has your back, it's pretty special. Like, it's, it's still a race, and everyone's going to race, and we're going to race. 
but like I know if I see her out there at any point, if you know, I run up to her or she runs up to me, like there's gonna be someone that's like 100% there for you. It adds just a gold star on the top of a race of like, oh, you have someone out there that really knows. <laughs> and best, yeah, it's with you. Best sport ever. Sorry yeah. to interrupt you there. <laughs> no, it's <was> good. <laughs> so talking about your season a little bit, maybe just paint the picture. Obviously, Western States is everybody's A goal. I know you were in Argentina last month doing sort of a nice final tune up there. Talk about the season and, and the progression towards arriving here with the fitness to compete at the highest level. Yeah, uh, it's actually been a big learning year, which has been really special. And uh, my first race, I came off the Adidas team camp and we had crewed at Black Canyon with the team. So I had all that team vibe and team spirit going um, into Salmon Falls 50K here, which I raced last year. <clears throat> but I realized then that I, I can really pull myself out into my team and I realized when I'm going to race, I have to take a step back and take a minute for myself too to make sure I'm filled up enough. I kind of came off in a hustle <laughs> and just wanted to chill, but it was race week, so you can't really do that. Um, so yeah, I felt like I was missing a little bit, which was actually a good thing because then I've learned and taken that into uh, my next races. Uh, and then Argentina was incredible. It's such a cool country. <laughs> I'd never been to South America before. Um, super special trip. Went with Paul and Cody and we just had a great time. Luckily, Paul can speak Spanish so we could figure things out. <laughs> um, <laughs> we had a blast. It was really fun. But I actually, I really prayed before that race of like okay this is kind of my build-up race to western states like if if i'm ready like if i'm touching in all the areas i need to that are going to have me ready for race day at western like this race can go without any hiccups and it'll be fine and we can have a blow away race sure but if it isn't like this would be the perfect time for my weaknesses to show up yes. <laughs> so i can learn and have my last building block be really specific to areas I wanted to work on. So there were a few things that I like was very highlighted in that race. I was like, okay, you can still work here a little more. You can still run, you know, up heel a little better or things like that. So yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think we're both sitting here hoping that you improve by another hour <laughs> this week and that you take some big swings and we will be cheering for you all the way to the track <laughs> when you pick up that flag and come across the finish line. I think that's, do you have any final words or thoughts, Dylan? No, no, big round of applause for Emily Hoggett. Again, our top returning women's finisher going for her third oh! Western States here, local legend by way of Zimbabwe. <laughs> Emily, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me and thank you guys for being here. You never underestimate how much we think about you guys chatting us, chatting about <laughs> us online as we run. <laughs> Bring your phone and watch the broadcast okay. while you're out there. <laughs> Next up is the man, Mr. Ryan Montgomery. Okay, welcome back. We are joined by Ryan Montgomery. Ryan, at long last, you're here at Western States Healthy. So maybe before we, we are go here, <laughs> before we go into it, maybe for those who are unfamiliar, explain your multi-year saga. Oh for my this gosh, race. yes. I've told this so many times already, but for people that don't know, uh, I got into Western States actually from a sponsor back in 2019 in December. Uh, my sponsor, Sunto, said, hey, do you want to join Western States next year, 2020? Yes. Of course, it was canceled because of COVID. And then the following year, um, I got injured. I tore my gracilis muscle from skate skiing too much that winter. 
Uh, so I pulled out of the race, and then that year I qualified, got a golden ticket at Javelina. And so last year I pulled out of the race again for another injury. So yeah, third time's a charm. Um, I'm here. Yeah, I guess. What is it like? I mean, that's a long, that's a, there are a number of athletes in this race this weekend that have had a long pathway yeah. either back to racing due to injury or, or to this race in general. It's just, it's taken a while to get here. I mean, the hype is real. Western States is kind of a big deal. You've been trying to do this thing for a while. <laughs> like, what does it mean to actually get to be here healthy, like ready to get off the start line Saturday morning? Yeah, I describe my journey leading up to Western States as a crescendo moment in like my ultra running career. Um, I've done a lot of hundreds actually. And so I feel like hundred mile racing like feels very familiar to me. And so being able to bring that experience and that confidence in this distance to such a large stage like Western States, it feels like a great crescendo for like, you know, as I, continue to evolve in as an athlete and in the sport. So I'm just like really excited to like feel the vibrations of that crescendo on Saturday. Yeah. Going a little bit deeper on this, I think yesterday you posted about like having that belief in yourself and being yeah. confident. Expand on that for the audience. Yeah, it's uh I was thinking, you know, I think the biggest thing I've been working on in preparation for Western States this year is the mental preparation, the mental gain. Like, of course, everyone's gonna be fit on Saturday. Everyone's strong, everyone's, you know, been doing strength training, but I think the differentiator that I think is going to take um, a podium, a win, top 10, is like the mental fortitude and strength that you really believe in yourself. And so as I've been working on that, I've, I, I actually just finished uh, Dina Castor's book. Um, I finished the audiobook, and something really stood out to me when I was listening to that in the car, where she said that when she finally believed in herself and like saw herself as winning this race, it something like flipped in her that allowed to like unlock the superpower. And when I think about my own racing and my own performance, I feel like I've always considered myself to be like, I'm this amazing elite athlete, but I'm like running with the best. I'm not beating the best, but I'm with them. And I think that's like the mindset, mind shift change I'm bringing into Western states that like, Ryan, you have all the skills and tools to not only be with them, but to beat them. And so that's really like what I'm channeling um, on Saturday. So you're based out of Utah. Utah, Utah. Had, Utah had a pretty decent winter. It appears. Yes. A little, a li just a little <laughs> bit of snow. I think that some of your trails have like just finally uh -huh. melted out, it feels like. Obviously, we're not looking at quite the snowmageddon situation that we were predicting for race day, but there's still quite a bit of snow out on the course. And I'm just kind of curious, you know, like coming into the race where you're like, this is my superpower. I've got this. Are you feeling good about the high country? Like, tell us a little bit about kind of like coming out of winter in Utah being forced to run on snow. I think you actually, I mean, I think you enjoy it and you ski a yeah. bunch as well. Like talk, talk to us about like translating your winter training in Utah to being here on the course with some snow on it. Yeah. I I've had this conversation many times with my coach and <laughs> So where I live in Utah, I live just outside of Park City in like a rural neighborhood. And it's just like a snow road, yeah. pretty much from November through March. And I ran that sucker multiple times a week. Yeah. So I'm like running on snow is very familiar to me, yeah. especially icy conditions, um, uneven conditions. And so I did a lot of that this winter. So for me, like whatever is up in the high country, I'm like, 
doesn't matter. That's like fine. I've done this, my body's done it before. Yeah. Like we're just gonna move forward through it. So yeah. Going back to the mental game, I'd love to hear you talk about your season thus far. Maybe before we get to Tarawera, talk about Bandera, where you oh. swallowed a DNF. Yeah. I think this would be obviously relatable to a lot of people in the audience. Maybe talk about the mindset of accepting that DNF and moving forward from it and the mindset yeah. involved with it. Like while running really well on that day too, I might add, like having a good day, it seemed anyway from the outside, like yeah. from a results perspective, being in a good position and then having to kind of pivot all of a sudden to kind of, I think, save your energy a bit. Yeah, so obviously this year the goal was to get a golden ticket to run Western States, like goal numero uno. And so I ran Bandera and I'm actually really proud of that race because I paced incredibly well. I executed it exactly how I wanted. Um, but something that happened is around like the mile 40 mark, my quads like felt so bad in a way that like, I've run a 200 mile race, I've done a 24 hour track race. Like I know like what <laughs> fatigue feels like and this felt different. And I felt like if I like continued to like push through, it would have put me in a, in a well that I wouldn't be able to like run another race like that, that spring, that, or that late winter. And so that was like a really hard decision to make. But something I was really curious about is that I was like, something is wrong with my nutrition. Something's wrong with my hydration. So I actually ended up doing some um, like sweat analysis tests um, to see like, am I, am I drinking enough salt? Am I having too much or too, too lack of salt? And I learned that I'm a really salty sweater. I like did not know that. Yeah. And I thought I had too much salt in my system. I actually had not enough. And so um, I've been like really dialing in my hydration and like my fluids. And I think that yielded like a really positive outcome four or five weeks later in New Zealand when I got my ticket at Tarawera. And so, yeah, I'm really, I've really have that dialed now. And so I don't feel like that's a concern for Western States now. So then talk about Tarawera. We were just talking with Hayden Hawks yeah. earlier. He and Dan, Johns are, Dan Jones are both here. Uh -huh. You guys finished first, second, third. You were third, punched your golden ticket to Western States. Talk about securing that golden ticket yeah. finally again, <laughs> coming back. And then also, was there fear or anxiety about then sort of getting injured again coming into For this race? For sure. Yeah. <laughs> like always, there's always a risk, but you know, there's no like gain without risk. And I remember I was like, wow, this is a tight turnaround between Bandera and Tarawera. I know you've like talked about that in some of your pre-race coverage. Um, and I, you know, I couldn't really get like that much more fitness gains, you know, between that time. And so I feel like I went into Tarawera being actually like relatively fresh because I knew I just needed to recover from Bandera, but I knew that like I had confidence that my body could like execute this well. And so actually at Tarawera, the, at the be beginning of the race, my legs like had a very similar like reaction to what I felt at Bandera. I was like, what is happening? We're only like at mile six and my legs feel like trash. So I actually pulled back at the very beginning of the race and I let like the front pack go. And I think I was in 12th place, like right at the beginning. But I'm like, I have confidence, like my body knows what it's doing. I'm gonna catch all these people later. And then like around mile 15, I'm like, okay, my legs are back, let's go. And I just like started picking people off. And then, you know, one after another, um, we got to third place and then I got my ticket, so. Yeah, I think, you know, that goes to show like you gotta trust your instincts and trust your body and know that it's gonna be 
there for you since Terraware. I think you ran a, a pretty fast 50 mile mm -hmm. as well in Colorado. You've been like kind of work, you know, yeah. build, building up to this moment a little bit. Like take us through kind of the like, kind of like how did you focus on your prep to be like, okay, we're Western States fit. I know I, I personally think that you're really good over these kind of fast hilly courses. So take us through, you know, this like intentional build, got your golden ticket, sending it to Western States. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I do feel like my strength is like runnable terrain. Yeah. And that is definitely Western States. So that's why I'm like really excited to have like my first Western States debut race. Um, but I think that is, that is like, I think an advantage point for me where like not having 100 mile experience is such a disadvantage yeah. on this course. Like you just go through a different level of fatigue that if you've never experienced before, you're just at a disadvantage. But I think for me, as I've been thinking about what can I do to set myself up for success at Western, and it's been doing like a ton of strength. Um, I'm sure you probably follow some of my stuff I put out, but I've been really investing in like the gym and like feeling really strong. And I think that's gonna be so important, like coming out of the high country, like when you hit Robinson Flat and you just finish a 50K and you just ran through like 15 miles of snow and then now you have to hammer, like whoever is really strong and can, yeah. has confidence in their body is going to do really well. And if you don't have that, it's not gonna to yield to a great outcome at Forest Hill. <laughs> Yeah, you've been smashing the deadlifts. I've been following along. Thanks, yeah. <laughs> Maybe to round things out, going back to kind of where we started, you being a dreamer and, and cultivating the self-belief, are you willing to say kind of what your goals are on Saturday? <laughs> I, I, I just feel like, again, you know, if I'm using the analogy of like a crescendo, a crescendo is a climax. And I think, you know, I've done everything possible to, you know, have no stone unturned. I've, you know, gone deep into like the crevices of my mind to prepare myself. And I think they, my goal is for, my, my goal is to podium, like that is my goal. And I think I can do that. And I think my, uh, having like run 1400, mi 1400 mile races, and my confidence and my strength, I think I'm going to get there. So. That's more 100 milers than me, Ryan. Yeah, it's a lot, huh? I'm 29. Well, I'm 37. <laughs> um, well, we hope it's a crescendo for you, Ryan. Thank you. It's awesome to have you here. It's awesome to have you healthy. Thanks for coming on the show, and best of luck on Saturday. Yeah, thanks for having me. Big round of applause for Ryan Montgomery. Be back in just a second with Heather Jackson. Okay, folks, welcome back. We are joined by Heather Jackson, one of the most interesting athletes in endurance sport right now. I was joking with you two days ago that welcome to the Kona of trail running. It's great to have you here. Maybe first, just tell us how you're feeling ahead of your first Western States. Yeah, thanks, Dylan and Corinne, for having me up here. Um, I'm just honestly super excited. I'm, I feel like a kid in a candy shop, like almost like the first time I raced Kona, you just, you have no expectations. You have not, no idea what's, how it's going to go. I have ran the final four miles of the course. That's it. So I don't know what's out there. I mean, I've looked at the course map, but anything could happen out there. And that's, it's just exciting because it's going to be one big adventure. So yeah, the nerves are definitely kicking in. So <laughs> I'm a little nervous, but <laughs> Yeah, I feel like, I mean, we've all been watching with bated breath, I think, as you, like, just rocketed into the sport back at Javelina. 
um, in October and then, you know, since then have, you know, put together and like, I think a incredibly impressive run at Black Canyon and then a win at the Canyons. 50K, like you've gone kind of in the opposite direction. I think most people go, right? You went 100 mile, 100K, 50K, and now we're back here for this really fun 100 mile. Like, tell us a little bit about kind of like the draw to Western states that has clearly just like kind of pulled you into the sport more broadly. Yeah, I mean, honestly, Western States is the race that got me into the sport. It's why I wanted to try trail running. And um, I followed this race. I followed a lot of the athletes in it. Um, and just having that allure that Kona had for me for so long that it was this was the race I wanted to get to. And um, I'm just so grateful to be able to, to be on the start line. I mean, it's crazy. Like Kona you can qualify, but there's, I think, three, 4,000 people. Like, there's, what, under 400 people that get to do this. So for me, this is, you know, it, it's a privilege to be here, and I'm just grateful to be able to be one of those people that get to stand on that start line on Saturday. So racing and training is second nature to you. I mean, you've been racing professionally as a triathlete forever, but you're probably one of the most inexperienced contenders as a pure trail runner Talk about the experience that you've gained so far and maybe what some of the learnings have been and how that might inform your strategy on Saturday. Yeah, um, I'm definitely, yeah, this will be my um, fourth trail race. So, but in the three that I've done, I've learned so much every single one. I mean, the first one I walked away from Havelina, 100 mile. Um, I felt good until probably that 10 hour mark. So very similar to Ironman, that 70-ish mile. So for me now, this will be my second 100. Those 30 miles at the end are definitely daunting because I remember exactly how my quads felt. So but I'm taking from Havelina. Um, what I took from that was just, yeah, working on those downhills, working on pounding those quads and really trying to thrash them and, and then recover and do that again the next day. So I've worked on that in training. Um, the fueling, just reinforcing kind of what I've always done with Ironman, staying on top of that because you know if you don't fuel an hour five, hour 15, that will come back. Um, so just, yeah, little thing. I mean, technical running from I would say mostly black canyons of the three I've done. I walked away like, wow, I have so much to learn. I am grateful. I don't think this is too crazy um, te technical wise, but um, just, yeah, every race has, has presented something to work on. And I've kind of gone back to my training and tried to incorporate that and just see how this, this next one goes. Yeah, speaking of kind of going back to training and incorporating it, I have to imagine that people are like, well, Western states, it's going to be hot. It's going to be hot. You know, you were like, I know how to do that. I've done Kona. Like, I know how to prep for this. You clearly have prepped for this. You're up on stage wearing, I think, at least two jackets and a hoodie. So someone is definitely heat acclimated up here. But tell us a little bit about kind of, I know you're, you're based in Bend, but you guys spend a lot of time in Tucson. Talk a little bit about kind of like the intentional prep that went into getting ready for this race. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the first thing that a lot of people always said about it was, be ready for the heat. It's super hot. And I was like, okay, eyes forward. This is what I do for Kona. So I'm like, okay, this is what we do. Um, it's like six to eight weeks in the heat. Every, every August, we go down to Tucson and just train in the heat for seven weeks. And um, Tucson gets up over 100. It's been over 100 the last three weeks. And so I've been um, yeah, even waiting until like noon to go out and doing, you know, two, three hours at 105 degrees and being like, hey, this feels good. I'm, I'm good to go. Um, and then we got here and I was like, holy shit, it's 33 degrees. <laughs> it's a little bit chilly. Waking up this morning to frost on the car was not a fun surprise. Oh my God, exactly. So, I mean, I think the heat, um, 
yeah, I think it, even if it isn't as hot, uh, like you and I were discussing just a bit ago, it's, it can still feel hot out there. So I think overall, I'm glad we did that. Um, it did enforce our kind of decisions. We were like, should we do, kind of weighed out three things, like should we do a heat block? Should we do an altitude block or a course specific block in terms of coming here maybe three weeks ahead of time or um, going to altitude somewhere or staying in the heat? And we went with heat just because I do know how that feels in Kona. If you don't manage that, uh, you're walking a marathon. And that's happened to me before. So I, I went with the heat. It was also easier. Uh, we have a place in Tucson. So it's, but we did make that active choice to stay in Tucson about six weeks longer than we normally would go up to Bend. So <laughs> you're ready, even if it's not a hot day. <laughs> so since we saw each other at Canyons, I know you raced Unbound, which is basically the Western states of gravel racing. I know you had a disappointing day there. So just maybe talking about relatable stuff for the audience, like throughout your career as an athlete, like how, how do you deal with disappointment and keep moving forward? Yeah, so I just raced Unbound. It's a 200-mile gravel race, and I had really focused uh, literally the last six months on on that combined with this race, and it was using the training for Unbound for this as well, like running off of my seven-hour rides, um, running off of those big weeks weekends on the bike. And so, um, unfortunately, I had a mechanical 10 miles into Unbound. I was stuck in one gear, and it was that decision of, like, Okay, I know Western States is coming in three weeks. Like, should I try to continue on? And I honestly was like, this is what could happen at Western States. You have to problem solve. You have to like, you're not going to throw the towel in 10, 10 miles in because like, yeah, you're, you're having an issue. So um, yeah, I, I rode 70 miles in one gear and got to that aid station, got a new rear derailleur and, and carried on. But it was knowing that that day, like, it was, I was out there for 13 hours. I mean, I also thought of it as, okay, my final long day training for Western States. Like, okay, only what? Like five, six, who knows, hours left. Like, um, so it was practicing fueling, um, putting that time in out there, pushing for that long. So I tried to just, it's almost, I, I'm almost grateful I had Western States because that also kept me going. I'm like, this is a great training day. Just keep going. Uh, mentally, you got to refocus and redirect uh, what you're thinking about. So I redirected to like, okay, only, yeah, just breaking the race down, the nutrition, and practicing kind of what will probably go happen on Saturday. Yeah, I, I know you had some friends out there in the mechanical zone as well. I think our, our mutual friend Anna was also like dancing her way through the same mechanical at that, that aid station. It's a really fun, fun community. But I, I would love to hear you talk a little bit more. You mentioned it kind of, you glossed over it a little bit. And I think that people don't quite understand maybe like the style of training that you do. Like this idea of, it's, it's something that I've like started to implement in my own training, having dealt with injuries, this idea of like, running off the running off the bike obviously as a triathlete you do a lot of running off the bike those brick workouts talk a little bit about implementing that into now your your gravel cycling and your training for a race like western states like yeah like what does running off the bike mean or look like practically during your training week yeah so i've i mean i'm coming from a a, a career in triathlon so that it's very common for me to do the run off the bikes but when i made this transition over it just made sense in my mind to continue that type of training because how your legs feel after a six hour bike ride, a seven hour bike ride in training, and they're just completely loaded. Like you're tired, you're probably low on energy. Maybe you didn't fuel correctly. That is how some of these trail races will feel at hour eight, hour nine and beyond. So to continue that mental prep and that mental, the mental training and also just like running on tired legs. Um, so I've been doing two to three runs, maybe not as 
like quickly off the bike anymore because in triathlon, like I would drop my bike in the garage and sprint out similar to a race, but I'll like, okay, get in, get my shoes on and, and go out on tired legs or specifically do my longer runs after really big days on the bike. Um, actually after Unbound, I got up the next morning and just got out for a run. Just legs were pretty thrashed, so, but it's like, okay, this is how it's going to feel hour 14. So yeah. And what she's forgotten to mention thus far too, is that she's got a, I think a gravel race coming up like next weekend here in Truckee as well. So she just can't stop really. No, no, no. <laughs> they knew I was going to be here and they're like, you have to come out for this. And I'm like, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to walk over to the start of it. So I will be there. I can't promise. <laughs> We're getting ahead of ourselves. We have a race to talk about this weekend. But yeah, I don't know, maybe going a little bit further on the training aspect, because I find it fascinating. Like you're the only person in the field who views a 13 hour bike ride as like a great training day for Western States or who did something like that. After Unbound, how do you transition to sort of run specificity? Like, have you been actively increasing your run volume too? I, so during the Unbound block, I kept the standard uh, mileage that I do, and that's usually like 60 to 70-ish miles a week. And then after Unbound, I was like, okay, like I should bring the volume up, just put a solid week in, um, knowing that I was gonna start to bring it down as I got closer. So I did actually got in 100 mile week, just, um, and when you don't bike, it's, cr not, I, I don't wanna say it's easy to get 100 miles in, it, because it wasn't, you have to, it's, it's a lot of miles, but it's when you're not riding six or seven hours, three or four days, you have so much time in the, in the week. So it was like, I still did a couple rides, but I definitely uh, focused in on running for a good 10 days, put in a really solid bigger block, some specific work, um, still in the tired legs from Unbound. I mean, it was, even though I wasn't up there, it was still like pretty fatigued for three, four, five days. So, um, and then it was, yeah, time to kind of bring it down and um, pack up and travel here. Uh, we drove up. So um, it was a good mini block, but throughout the whole, I guess, six months of this year, I stayed right around that 60 to 70 miles and with different weeks being way more or way less, not way more, but way less too. I had a couple like 30 mile weeks in there when I raced BWR into Sea Otter. It was really low. And so... But I think I just have to rely on my history knowing, like, okay, the bike fitness carries for me. And, um, yeah, it's using that mentally versus, like, it's so easy to go online or on Strava and be like, oh, my God, like, 130-mile weeks, week after week after week. And, like, I'm not ready, but I have to just always say to myself, like, yeah, they didn't do it in an eight-hour ride and then run off. So it's I think you got to find what works for you and knock on wood, I've – never been injured. So I'm really going to knock on wood. Um, I think I'll just keep, yeah, continuing that, uh, trying to like, yeah, preserve the body. I know we talked about Canyon at Canyons about it, but yeah, I think kind of my, my final question anyway, is thinking about like how we've watched you race over the last year. Some people might call it aggressive. I don't think that you probably feel like it's aggressive. You're probably like, this is just me running, right? Like it's like one person's aggressive and another person's normal. You know, you're going into a big race, a new 100 mile, 100 mile that's going to start up this ski slope, you know, over there. How are you thinking going into the race as far as like, are you taking, I mean, people are probably advising strategy to you left and right. Like, how are you thinking about, you know, tactic going into Saturday? Yeah, I still just feel so like clueless when it comes to like, the race tactics. I know I said that at Canyons. I mean, um, I just, yeah, I know how, I do remember Havelina very like 
very much front of mind. So I know how those last miles felt and I know like it will affect you later if you kind of go too, too hard. So I, I, yeah, I race by feel that I also race. I'm here to race like I'm not so it's tough for me Like I, I don't have a race plan of like okay, I'm gonna go this pace or this effort or I've broken the race down into the aid stations Like okay, I'm gonna carry this amount of fuel to this and I think of it as like okay 10 miles for that first one I Only focus on those 10 miles and I'm racing in that so yeah I am aware of like are people going who am I with like and respond to it does that you know affect me later probably um, but I also yeah, I think probably lack of experience, lack of uh, <laughs> really knowing, like, is this too hard of an effort level? I mean, I'm racing, but... A whole lot of excitement on our end, though. <laughs> Trust your instincts. <laughs> I said the other day to someone that for a runner, uh, this is like the running community, so anyone who doesn't follow triathlon, in, for 10 years, I have been one of the last people out of the water. So my entire career, I'm getting out of the water and my husband says, you're 10 minutes back from the lead. You're 15 minutes back from the lead. And so now I'm coming to this sport where I'm not starting with a 10 minute deficit and have to chase all day long and hope to get someone like in the finish shooting Kona. So for me to be on the start line and know that I can run, I can't swim relatively speaking. So to be able to be there and be like, this is how Lucy Charles feels. I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> yeah, so you can ease into it on Saturday. You can ease into it. Maybe final question. It's just kind of popping into my head here, and I think relevant. Obviously, Hoka is the main sponsor for Western States. They are the main supporter of our broadcast, our pre-race interview show, and I know they really stood by your side during this career renaissance. Do you want to say a few words about Hoka, the partnership, and how they've supported you as you transition to gravel and trail? I honestly, I, yes, thank you. I cannot say enough about Hoka. Hoka, shout out Mike McManus. <laughs> He's not. <laughs> Mike has supported me in triathlon for, it was eight or nine years. I didn't even have a shoe sponsor at the time and Hoka brought me on and he supported me all through triathlon. And um, at Kona last year, I had told him I was interested in trail running and he, he literally was like, I don't want to say more excited because Kona hadn't happened yet, but he was like, oh, that's so awesome, H.A. Like, you got to come check it out. And to be a, to have that support transitioning from one career to another career and to then, yeah, still be in Hoka, still be running in the shoes I want to be running in, still be working with the people I want to be working with and have the support of this brand. And I think one of the, the brands that just, it started because of trail running and now I'm in this sport and this is their heritage. And it's for me just super cool um, to have that support and to have all the resources coming from some of their amazing runners and be able to reach out to them and ask questions. And so, yeah, uh, just a massive shout out to Hoka um, for their support. Now it's, yeah, nine, 10 years. So I, I feel really, really lucky to have such a long-standing partner and to be able to run in the shoes that I would run in anyways. Amazing. Well, Heather, it's so great to have you in our sport. It's so great to have you here at Western States. You're going to provide Corinne and I with so much material to talk about during the broadcast on Saturday. Thanks for, thanks for coming on the show and best of luck. Thank you both. Yeah, I really Big appreciate it. applause for Heather Jackson. <laughs> we'll be right back to wrap up today's show with Mr. Hella Sadibe.
Okay, we are back with the final guest of our morning session, a great character in this year's race and a great character in the running community, Mr. Hella Sadibe. Hella, welcome to Olympic Valley. How's it thank feel? You. Thank you for having me and thank you for your kind words. This is incredible. I can't stop cheesing because look at this. And I can't believe that I'm here at the Western States 100. It's incredible. Yeah, I think, I mean, people might know you for various reasons. One I know is definitely your, uh, your habit of this, I think my mic, there my mic goes, this habit of this really long run streak you've yes. been on. And I've talked to you before. I, t I know that, you know, your run streak will not, you know, if we might be running double on Sunday. That's okay. But tell us a little bit about kind of this long running mission you've been on. So back in 2017, I wanted to stop making excuses and hold myself accountable. I had this dream of playing professional soccer, even though I had one year of it, but everything just started falling apart. And a lot of it was because of immigration issues, things that I couldn't control. So even though you are a good prospect, you have all the talent that's needed to be in the league, you're getting heavily recruited, but it comes down to when you're about to sign that contract, can we see your visa? Can we see this? So I got just pushed between teams, trying to figure out what to do. and losing opportunity to play in Germany, one of the biggest leagues in the world, a Bundesliga 2 uh, team. And I just was in a dark area in my life. And looking back at it, you can say there were signs of depression. I'm not a medical professional to say it was for sure. But I was just tired of it. And I wanted to face a fear of mine. And I asked myself, what is it that you want to do, that you're responsible for, that you're afraid of, that you want to tackle? Running hits me immediately because it was a punishment in college. And in Whenever you mess up on the field or a teammate messes up, one band, one sound, we all get punished by running. So I said, let me go run. There's no coach yelling at me, making me do it for my own will. Just 10 minutes a day, two weeks ago. Within the first week, fell in love with it and ran to my fiance. I said, I don't, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I think I can see myself doing this for the rest of my life. And from then on, we're here uh, six years later, still going at it. And you've run every single day since. Every single day, outside, say, no matter the circumstances. Yeah, you want to say a few words about run streaking for those who are unfamiliar? And, and more generally, just like the value of having a consistent practice day after day? Yeah, so run streaking is getting out there, not running naked. It means <laughs> you're getting out there to run every day. And it's different for everyone. I made my promise to myself, it has to be outdoor. No matter what the weather is, it could be blazer, it could be raining, it doesn't matter, you got to get outside. And I think there is like a run streak association I found out. And it says that in order for it to be a run streak, it has to be a mile a day. And for me personally, I preach to people, a run streak for you, even if that means you can only run a minute at a time, it counts. Because there's different privileges of our bodies. Not everybody can hold a mile. Uh, for me, there is a minimum, but it's not a mile. But if a mile it is for you, that's okay. If two minutes is for you, that is okay. You're still a runner, just different ways of running. So run streak is as long as you're getting out there and moving your body, if that means you can only run 30 seconds at a time, you got to walk for five minutes and then run 30 seconds at a time, it counts. So it's all about using our body and then this beautiful sport that we have and get going and trying to be consistent. And it translates to other areas of your life for sure. Yeah, part of that run streak included a run across the country. Yes. In 2021, I think it took you 84 days. Yeah, I think 84 you, days. You, you raised money for an organization near and dear to your heart. Can you tell us a little bit about that, that yes. journey? So when I actually started running, it was a personal goal, but I quickly realized that it was a privilege. And I, I knew I was not going to let myself down, so I wanted to make this something bigger than myself. So it started being any race I've done at that point, it was for a cause. I didn't care for PRs. And one day I saw running was a daily routine. I wanted to do something harder, but for a nonprofit. 
came out of the shower. I remember vividly. I went to sit on the dining table. I said, hey, Belle, call my fiance that. I said, I think I'm going to run across the country. She's like, what? No, no. I, I said, I need to do something like this because I'm running every day anyway. What happened if I go to California or start in New York and go that way? I'm running every day. I just run every day and go through the country. And we research, uh, uh, we found the nonprofit Souls for Souls. They take unwanted shoes, new or used, and they turn into opportunity for those who don't have the privilege of just having the basic necessity of life. And you know the saying, um, feed a man one day, they'll, he'll survive, but teach him how to fish, he can live forever. So it's the same concept that they do with shoes and unwanted uh, clothes as well. That is beautiful. So I guess just to emphasize for the audience, you will have to run on Sunday after you yes, hit the track. So the cool thing is, even though the runs start on Saturday, so that will be, I'll make sure that I have some miles nonstop without having to walk or anything. And then Sunday comes, so it is the run that started on, on Saturday. I wear four watches, so all I have to do actually in the middle of the run, I can end one of the watches run and then resume a brand new run while I'm out there actually finishing the run to get to the finish line. But the next day also as well, Monday, I will continue and get up and get that streak going. Unreal. And yeah. you can join me. Yeah, I yeah. told you. I told you I'd bring my shoes. Yes. I would be running. Yeah, initially, I think when we talked about this, you were like, yeah, if the run starts on Saturday, that means I have to have a new run on Sunday. On Sunday, yes. So I'm glad you figured out a way to make that. Yeah, I did that on Leadville 100, too. I'm like, hmm, let me yeah. lose. Yeah. Reason one to run. So speaking speaking yeah. of Leadville, yeah, tell us about that experience. This is now your second 100-mile yes. race. So what did you learn at Leadville, and what are you excited about here at your second try so at the distance? Leadville was my first 100-mile race, first ultra race, first trail race, first altitude race, it was first of everything for me. I learned a lot and the biggest thing for me is I respect the level of running. There's level to this game. There's people who do it at such a high level and I go and pick everybody's brain. I go ask questions and everybody that I've seen in that area, the Sally McRae's, uh, Harvey, I just ask them, what do you do? What did you do? And I take their tip very, very seriously. So I forgot about time. I wanted 24 hours, but I just said forget about time. And it looked like I could have got 24 hours until I hit uh, Hope Pass. Hope Pass slowed me down a lot, but it humbled me in a way that I couldn't have ever imagined. And I just told myself, just smile through the pain. It's a beautiful pain. No one is making me do this. I picked this race myself. So might as well have fun. Why be miserable when your bodies are going to feel it anyway? So I learned in that way, and I'm going to make sure that I bring the same mindset and Speaking to the likes of Billy, I watched Billy's video. Billy was really shot when he did Western States, and somehow he persevered. But it was all the positive mindset, talking yourself, you know, I can do it, having the crew there for you, having uh, my fiance and the crew that I have out here. I'm going to depend on everybody's energy and carry me through because it's a long run. Yeah, so speaking to lessons and maybe things that you're excited about. So, yeah, so Hope Pass was hard. You're not going to yes. have anything quite as high as Hope Pass here, so that's good. That's good. But yes. kind of, you know, I know that you've been picking people's brains. Like, what are you most excited about? You know, was there any really, really good advice that you got about Western states? I was told to take it very easy, especially on the downhill at the canyons. And I learned that at the camp. Because I got out there, I was saying, I love downhill. I think I excel more on the downhill. That's my superpower. I remember at Leadville, people would just cruise by me on the vertical, but I, will, I, caught, I caught them. And then some, it got to a point where like, I would joke with somebody that would pass me and say, I'll see you. Yeah, I, the downhill and the flat, that's my thing. So I went really hard in the canyon at the camp, and I remember started climbing back up. I said, uh-oh, thank God today is not race day, and it's just training. So don't you dare do that on race day. So I'm going to be taking it very slow and steady, moving with a purpose, but 
now going too crazy. Beautiful. Great advice, too. Take it easy on the downhills. It pays dividends later in the race. Yes. So we saw each other at the Memorial Day training camp. Maybe talk about your impressions of the course and also your impressions of the Western States community. It's incredible. The energy, you cannot smile. The course is actually scary. I don't know if anyone felt like that being there. And I remember actually talking to somebody else. They were also really happy today wasn't race day that day we were at. And the thing that was really shocking to me, though, is how much of a runnable area. And I was told by friends about that. It is really runnable. But I remember the, the second day when we started at Forest Hill, even though it was runnable, the quads were super sore. So you're like, whoa, I, I can run this or the quad isn't feeling really well. So I learned that the course will trick you to think that you can move fast, but don't let that get to your head. Still slow down a little bit. But the community itself, everybody's so nice. The ultra community in general, I was saying that you would be dying. Someone doesn't know when they're going to need their fueling, but they'll offer it to you. They might need it in the long run, but they don't care about that. They just care about the moment that you're dealing with, with pain. They want to help you. Everybody look out for each other. Not saying that that doesn't happen in road race marathon, but everybody's trying to PR. They might just be like, I hope you get help, because if I stop, I'm going to mess up my PR. With ultra, I feel like people are really there for you. Yeah, kind of building off that, I think the last time we spoke, you were getting ready to run the Boston Marathon. I know that the roads are where you're most home. I love the roads, yeah. Yeah. So what have we done to trick you into staying on the trails a little bit longer? It's about the people, community. I, I really feel like even my run trick, people make it what it is. It's, I call everybody my beautiful people because everybody just has such a good heart. And you just have to find that good in their heart because it is there. So the community makes you want to come back. At Leadville, I don't know how it's going to be here. I've never run here. People are in the middle of the woods at 2, 3 in the morning. I'm like, I would be sleeping. <laughs> People are doing that to cheer you on. When you're at your most toughest, miserable point mentally, because you're just physically destroyed, someone is there cheering. When you see that, you're thinking to yourself, this person is taking time out of their day. Come on, now, I can do this. Let me, let me prove it to them that it was worth it, that they got up till 2, 3 in the morning to come out there. So it's the, the community is something that's different. I, I love the marathon. I love the roads, but yeah. Well, you fit in so well in our community. I hope you Thank choose you. to do more trail Thank running. You. Yeah. I always say this will be, this was it. After Leadville, someone asked, are you going to come back to try to do it again? I said, nah, I'm a one and done person. I don't go look for stuff. They find me, but I found Leadville and then that opportunity got me to be here. And shout out to Hoka for selecting me for the BIPOC entry. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad I did Leadville because that was a qualifying race. Yeah. So I can't believe that I'm here and people try for years to get into this race and I got in yeah. and it's just, I can't not be grateful enough for it. Yeah. Well, your gratitude is infectious. Your positivity thank is you. infectious. You're a great force of positivity and optimism thank in you, the thank sport. You. I would encourage everybody to follow Hella on, on Instagram. I'm sure you're gonna have a crew out following you throughout yes. the day. So yes. probably your Instagram and your Instagram stories. Everything's gonna be filled. I know Corinne and I are gonna be following you throughout the day too and sort of keeping thank people you. updated on your progress along yeah. the course too. So good luck to you tomorrow or on Saturday, Hella, and thanks for coming on the yeah, show. Thank you for having me. You guys are incredible. You do a great job. Keep doing what you do. And I know what you also do on the on the racetracks. So he's sitting here <laughs> acting all like yeah, good job, Hella, but we know what, what you guys are all doing, too, so keep it going. Thanks so much. Big Thank round of guys. applause for Hella Sidibe. Thank you. So... Thank you guys for being here. This is so freaking fun. It's the start of the best weekend of the year. 
Thank you for coming out to the first session this morning. Corinne and I are going to be back at 2 p.m. with the second session. I'm going to read our guest list before we sign off here. So this afternoon, we're talking to Megan Roche and Emily Krauss first. They're the new medical research co-directors of Western States before we launch into the athletes. Tom Evans, Keely Henninger, Cole Watson, Ida Nilsson, Adam Mary, Casey Lichtai, and Ludovic Pomeray this afternoon. So we're going to be back at 2 o'clock. For those watching on YouTube, Thank you so much. A big thank you to Hoka for making this show possible. A big thank you to Western States and the whole race organization. We'll see you back here at two. Peace out.